Welcome to Listen and Learn or Not, the day after the inauguration episode. I am your host, Anna D, with my hostess with the mostest, Claire, as well as life coach with a lifeboat, Lori <laughs> Ann Horton. You guys, we have a new president. Yes, we do. Ooh. And a new oh. vice president, and a new first lady, and a new first fella. Mm-hmm. We have a, we have a, a what's he called? The, the second gentleman. Yes. I love that. He's a gentleman, not a man, a gentleman. He's a man. <laughs> He's a man. Oh my goodness. Oh, he looked man. like he was having the time of his life yesterday. Oh, yeah. He sure did. A good gig, though. I don't know if I'd want the name though. Second gentleman where the first lady is the first lady. So, hey, if she's first, she's first. Like the second lady before. Like I know there's always been a second lady, but we don't really hear about them very much, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you know, true. I know yeah. Mike Pence had a wife and I'm sure Dan Quayle had a wife and obviously mm-hmm. Joe Biden had a wife. So Good but point. you don't really hear about them much, but I have a feeling we're gonna be hearing a lot about the second gentleman. Well, how how did you feel watching the inauguration? Well, true confession. I watched it today rather than yesterday because as I was telling Claire, I scheduled too many interviews. But I bawled, bawled through the whole thing. Okay, true confession for me also. I, because of my idiocy with not understanding time zones, thought it was at noon, not realizing it was at (laughs) nine. And I actually had a doctor's appointment yesterday. But in the end, it was great because I ended up listening to it instead of watching it on the radio. I was listening on the radio, on the car, on the way there. And then when I got to the appointment, I got all the way through up to just past Joe Biden taking the oath of office. And then today, as Lori said, I went back and I watched it this morning. I got up and then I had a chance to see what everybody was wearing and what it all looked like to what I was listening to. So I rather enjoyed that being a radio person. I'm, I'm kind of glad I got to hear it before I got to see it. How I'm about you? So, well, my, my oldest and I woke up early enough to catch the uh, hour before the ceremony began and it was like a red carpet at the Oscars it was. and I didn't expect that so that was a nice surprise just to see all these notable people come in one by one and you're able to recognize everybody that came in like you know oh look the Obamas are here that's George W and Laura Bush oh and look it's A-Rod A-Rod is J-Lo so that was a that was a nice surprise did you feel like there were things about this inauguration that just felt different from past inaugurations oh everything uh, right? I mean just first of all the masks it really like I mean, it's not that it hasn't hit me every day for the last 10 months that we're all walking around wearing masks, but this was really weird. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they <laughs> took them off for the main moments, you know, like the singing and the oath taking and all that stuff. But generally just seeing the people walk down that hallway like that, like they all get escorted in by somebody. Right. And just seeing them all in masks, that kind of weirded me out. I didn't notice Really? You're, you're I did notice the mask anymore. <laughs> right. The the mask is part of the face. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. Part of the dress. And the other thing, the other obvious big difference was, you know, there was no crowd there, but I thought the use of the American flags, the sea where the where the human beings would have been was just breathtaking. It looked beautiful. It made, I was afraid it would look very sparse and weird on TV and they did a good job of making it look like something. Right. There were so many moments like one thing that really hit me was how gray President Obama is. How gray? Yeah. You watched him kind of get gray while he was in office. (laughs) So much stress. He was peppered. You know, after he got in office, he started to get a but he was fully gray. Okay. I didn't know you were talking about his head of hair. I was like, gosh, what did he wear? I thought it was like this dark, very classy. They did. They look great. Yeah. Uh, no, Lori, beautiful. I've seen that before, Lori, not just with uh, with President Obama, but I think with um, President Bush, George mm-hmm. W. Bush, too. Yeah. You, there's like a time lapse of, of the years where you go from brownish hair to all gray hair. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a stressful job, man. Oh, I bet if we compared um, every president like that, we would have seen that in them, too. Yeah. Except for Biden's going to start gray, so he can't yeah. get much grayer. I also <laughs> realized that um, the Carters weren't there, but I suppose, I mean, it must be dangerous for them they're in well into their 90s right so yeah. right but he did address that reason. yeah he did address did they, that he's did he, they okay i didn't hear that what they yeah said. i loved it how he addressed everyone that was there and he said that jimmy carter wouldn't be able to make it and i think it was health reasons but he acknowledged every president vice president that was in the past that was there even pence huge props to pence he he was yeah. I, I thought his presence was was um 
and I've you know never been a big fan of his ideologies, but I think he has conducted himself just very admirably in the last several weeks, let alone yesterday. And I thought that that he and um, his wife made a great presence yesterday, and I thought they interacted with everybody really well. Yeah, it showed a lot of class yes. that he showed up at the yep. ceremony. I love the video of Vice President Harris and her husband bidding him farewell. You know, now that he's former VP, mm-hmm. so they bid him farewell on the steps of the Capitol, and then they remain on the steps as the Pences were leaving. And it was a very nice moment. You could see the Pences were waving back happily as their vehicle was rolling away, and it was just a very genuinely nice moment. It was like just this normal civil exchange of people. They were on different sides. I don't know. It was it was just nice. There was like this hopeful feeling and a weight off our shoulders that this dark cloud is not consuming us anymore feeling. I I was struck by ceremony and how we live in this world, like if we do any kind of an event, things have to move, move, move. And I loved it that there was just the silence as the artists walked down. There was silence as people were ushered in. I think we long for ceremony. And I think that was one of the things that not only was it ceremony, but it was our American songs sung by American artists that we love. Because I was listening for a big part of it. And so it's like, what is happening right now, you know? And so I'd run and look at the video and I'd be like, oh, they're ushering somebody in, somebody Mm -hmm. out. And I loved it when the artists were done, like Lady Gaga went to both sides. And then she, when she walked up the house, she said something It looked like she said, I just love America. And then Garth Brooks, they were like, he couldn't quit hugging everyone. He hugged and high fived and he was so excited to be there. (laughs) I know. to go find his hat. Um, Yeah. Lori, I love that too, what you're talking about, the ceremony and and the kind of quality. Quiet. Add one more little wrinkle to that, which is, I don't know if you noticed, but in between every single presenter, a guy had to come clean the podium. Yes. Saw that. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. So that kind of naturally gave it a, a yeah. pace that it probably had anyway, but that sort of added to it. You right. Know? And towards the end, like it was like he would be in between, you know, but towards the end, the pastor that came up to pray, he was standing there and the guy kind of barged in front of him and quickly cleaned <laughs> it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, it's like, am I cleaning enough? Am I doing it right? Did I miss a spot? We don't know where Lady Gaga's been. Right. <laughs> or her mocking day. <laughs> now that was an amazing performance because she sang it like she wanted you to understand what she was saying to you. Like she emphasized that the flag was still there and the home of the brave. Yes. I noticed this. She really wants us to understand what's going on here. I, I've been thinking about a lot about that lately. Sometimes I, 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 get, I guess, I don't know if it's the perspective of the age, but mm-hmm. I look at all these people as people now, like whether it's Kamala Harris or Joe Biden or this is like somebody who used to be a little kid who wanted to do stuff and then grew up and here they are. And then when you put that on the performers, like imagine whether you're Garth Brooks or Lady Gaga or, or Amanda Gorman or, or Jennifer Lopez. And, you know, you're a little kid from, you know, maybe not such a great neighborhood and you maybe had a tough upbringing, but you had this dream and that dream comes true. And then one day the people that are going to be president call you up and say, hey, will you sing the national anthem? I mean, It's just mind-boggling to me to look at Lady Gaga. And you're right. She put everything into that performance of that song, which happens to be our national anthem for the last, you know, whatever, hundred and something, couple hundred years. And you're right. I mean, she's probably sung the national anthem 50,000 times for basketball games and car races and bar mitzvahs or whatever. But this, like brought something different to it, you know, and it was fun to kind of think about the kid inside there. And, you know, we play her on our station. Often I'm looking at her Facebook. She wanted everyone to vote. She posts all the time. What a great day that was going to be. And her dad is Republican. And he was so excited for her to be there at the inauguration. And it was really fun watching leading up to this to see how important this was. Because when you think about the sweet gal that read the poem, I can't, Andrea, was that her name? Amanda Amanda Gorman. Amanda. Mm -hmm. So there were things in there that had to have just been written. They were. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so she had to perform that. You think of Lady Gaga, Garth Brooks, they sang songs we all knew. She had to have just written that poem, at least that part of it, memorize it to perform it. So think about Mm -hmm. that in that it's it's new. It's not like she had a chance to really practice and lead up to this. 
I heard that she started writing it maybe back in December when she found out they were choosing her to perform her poem. And when it came to the Capitol riots, uh, added more, it sounded like. Oh, and, spectacular. Uh, spectacular. Yeah. The message and the words, I am blown away that she was only 22 years old. Like that is Maya Angelou kind of you level. know, <laughs> level. Right. Perfect. Right. Yeah. And she's yeah. Some, something interesting is she, I had to look this up because she is America's youth poet laureate. We actually yeah. have a, a regular <laughs> adult poet laureate. It's a woman named Joy Harjo. But this woman, uh, Amanda Gorman, was the U- youth poet laureate. And I just, I wonder if they, you know, I mean, I think it's really important to hear from youth right now and kids, not to mention the fact that she's just freaking spectacular. Oh, her, <laughs> you know? her performance. I so. mean, the way she, her words, her clarity, everything about her. Yeah. 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 I really enjoyed that. In a way, I didn't think I would. I'd be like, oh, God, poetry. It was really something. You're right. It, it, it's not too fine a point to call it Maya Angelou-esque because she really, mm-hmm. the way with her, her face and her voice and her hands, she just, she brought it all. Isn't that something? I mean, she... She does identify herself as a poet. Her poems usually have a strong political content. And so she was asked during an interview what her first political memory was. And she said her first political memory was her mom reading her her Miranda rights because her mother wanted to make sure Amanda knew them because sadly, when you're a black child growing up in America, your parents have to have what's called the talk with with you. And she explains the talk isn't about the birds and the bees and our changing bodies. It's about the potential destruction of their bodies. And uh, so she explained that her mom wanted to make sure she was prepared to grow up with black skin in America. And that was her first awakening to the political climate she was stepping into. With how to be arrested. Oh my God. That is stunning. Hmm. Now, look what she got to do. She got to write a poem that spoke to an America to unite together and only 22 years old. So amazing. Wow. I think this, this means so much to me. I was really, I always think about my mom on inauguration day because my mom was really into like voting and democracy. And, and as much as I'm so glad she hasn't, I miss her, but I'm so glad she wasn't alive for Donald Trump because she oh. would have, I guarantee my mother would be in jail for, for any number of, of protests and chaining herself to the, keystone pipeline or whatever she would have done you know but yeah. in any case uh i know she was smiling down because she, my mom was a poet uh but she was also a teacher she taught writing and she loved to teach kids to write and to express themselves through writing she taught for many years in a program called upward bound not outward bound but upward bound which is at the time i don't even know if they still have it but it was a program for kids who were the first generation in their family to go to college oh. and so she worked with a lot of high school and college kids from various backgrounds and ethnicities and it just always made her so proud you know when when these kids could rise out of their circumstances and and accomplish something especially when it came to the arts and writing and i think she would she is up there somewhere just beside herself with amanda gorman today I love how you you did post about that yesterday, how your mother would have loved Amanda Gorman's performance. And uh, Mm -hmm. I remember you said, aside from your family, your mom's two great loves were writing and teaching young people to express themselves through writing. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I really wish she was my teacher. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm pretty sure if she happened to be one of my teachers, she would have been one of the teachers I'd be like thanking for their impact decades later. (laughs) Right. Right. Definitely. Although I'll tell you, uh, when I was a kid, she used to um, volunteer to come into classrooms and read poetry, which is always cool because, you know, when you're in like second grade and your mom is like the special guest, that's pretty cool. Except <laughs> for this one time where she came in, I think she was reading the poetry of, I want to say it was James Baldwin, and it had um, the N-word in it because that was part of the poem. Oh. And I remember she talked to the teacher beforehand and said, this is what I'm going to read. And the teacher was like, that's fantastic. Go for it. And so the whole thing was great. But I was like, I thought I was going to die. I'm mortified. <laughs> At seven, I was so embarrassed. I'm like, oh, my God, my mom said a bad word. Lori, can you uh, can you imagine Claire like turning like <laughs> yes. 80 shades of red? <laughs> oh, my God. It was just, I was so embarrassed. Of course, none of the kids cared. They were like, whatever. This is cool. But, right. oh, man. Yeah, that was that was a little tough. But but no, she was she was a, oh. I'm sure she was a great teacher and, and a lot of fun to, to have around. Yeah. Well, if she was anything like you, she was. Yes. <laughs> mm, she's a lot smarter than me. 
my mom. And you're a smart, you're a smart cookie. So. Yeah, yeah. She was a lot smarter than me. She, unfortunately, she was very troubled. My mom was pretty uh, severely bipolar. Mm. And so, you know, the highs were high and the lows were low. And, and so I do not envy the road that, that she traveled uh, yeah. over those many years. But uh, my mom was Thank you for saying that, but she was way smarter than me. <laughs> you guys have to say, I'm the black sheep in my family. All my siblings, everybody's smarter than me. I'm just thumbed down here cracking jokes. <laughs> I, I don't know. We can edit this out, so I don't know if you want to go here, Claire, but we, uh-huh. we are talking as a country so much about mental illness. And mm-hmm. growing up with that, as did I, a different sort of mental illness, I, I just wonder if we can have a little conversation about that. I, I'm very happy to have that conversation. So tell me, I mean, it's obvious you love and adore Uh your mom. So what was it like? I mean, because we know this, what I know about bipolar, they like to get off their meds every now and then and, you know, all hell Mm -hmm. breaks loose and then they get back on and they're the fabulous people that they are. So what was it like being the child of that? So it's interesting because when I, I'm the youngest of four kids and she'd had a, a couple of postpartums along the way too. So by the time I came along, the ship was mostly righted, but not completely righted. And I do, one of my very first memories was of my mom having a, a very public, what I guess it was a manic episode, but in those days you called a nervous breakdown right in front of a whole bunch of people at a big family event. Mm. And I remember that being very scary. Um, I was maybe five, five, like five years old. I remember it being very frightening. And I remember my father being very calm and I remember an ambulance coming and like that kind of thing. And then my mom was gone for a while and I didn't get to see her. And my grandma came and and lived with us. It felt like she was gone forever, but it was probably just a few weeks. I don't know. And then after that, she seemed much better. Like there was a many, 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 many years where she was, um, everything was fairly even keeled. But it still always felt a bit like people were on eggshells around her. I think I was too young to know that I was supposed to be on eggshells, although I might have been a little bit. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to make her, you know, upset or worried. My mom was always, she had some a compulsive, um, I guess you could call it obsessive compulsive, but not in like the, you know, all the forks have to be facing the right way kind of way, but more in like her thoughts. Like she, when she would have thoughts, she couldn't stop having them, you know? Mm. And so she would worry a lot. And so I just kind of made a point to, never make her worry or anything like that. I think in retrospect, it probably affected me more than, than I realized at the time. Unfortunately, uh, the medication that she was on for that really kept her the best um, had some really bad implications for her kidneys. And when she got into her uh, 60s and 70s, she had to get off of it and go on different medications, which were never nearly as good. I mean, she didn't die from them, but they never righted her, her situation the way the earlier medications did. So um, her last few years were definitely much rockier than those middle years. It's, it, it's interesting. It runs through my family. Um, I'm very fortunate that I don't have that. Um, you know, we all have our moments of anxiety and depression, but I certainly don't have a diagnosis like that, which I'm thankful for. But it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough to watch, you know, in other people in my family. And I guess in some ways I'm glad I was a little kid going through most of it because I think I didn't really understand the burden of it. But, um, you know, in retrospect, I think I probably picked up on more than I realize now. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. back in the day, we didn't talk about it because we didn't know how. And right. You know, I've spoken with a lot of people that, you know, have grown up with mental illness and, and they've <clears throat> said, you know, neighbors would come in and bring food and say, now you guys need to behave so you don't upset your mom. So now they're living yep. with this kind of thing. And so I think when when we, you know, we're hearing about mental illness and I work with, again, addicts and recovery and many times that's how they're taking care of their mental illness. So then they get clean and sober and all of a sudden life is horrible because it's not it's not good because they're not using it's horrible because they're not using and so that's why i believe more conversations are happening around mental illness and that it's okay and like we were also sad when kate spade ended her life and she said she had said that she couldn't bear what people would think if they knew that she was mentally ill yeah that's so sad that she she bore that burden because she couldn't bear what people would think about her and, and, and the thought, if only we could just normalize that you know it's, right. it's really 
And like you said, we've come a long way, but we obviously have so far to go because that was only, what, three years ago, Kate Spade? Maybe two? Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that mm-hmm. possibly she would have found support and love and acceptance mm-hmm. and people would have been amazed at all she's done because of all she's been through. But it's so sad to think that somebody would not realize that there was support, which tells me we need to be talking about it more. Yes. Uh Something else, Lori, I'm curious to your take on this, is uh, an, another member of my family who is, who's fairly severely bipolar. As you were talking earlier about getting on and off your meds, he for many years would frequently go off of his meds because he didn't like the way they made them feel, feel sort of dull. Mm-hmm. And he, would, he said to me m- way more than once when he was off his meds, he said to me, medication is not for the people who suffer from who are bipolar. It's for the people around them to feel, to feel better. Mm-hmm. And that always frustrated me mm-hmm. because I can see I can see his point and maybe he's right in a way, but also I just I found that statement very confusing to I didn't know how to react to that. Have you heard that? Um yes, and honestly I will say the person in my family that uh back then there weren't like antidepressants, but they would take tranquilizers. And I hated it, but I loved it because it meant we had we had a little bit of downtime because of those. Right. And so right. I hear that. I think that is a question to put out because somebody in my family now is struggling with that. Uh, they they have to quit using all the non-legal drugs to be around the family and the kids, but they feel like the non-legal drugs make them the most creative and the best they are, and so they don't mm-hmm. understand, Ooh. right? So they think, mm. you know, we want him to uh, take, go get analyzed and take the kind of drugs that would be prescribed for his kind of disorder. So even though it's the illegal versus the legal, same thing. He doesn't like the way he feels, and he feels like he can't be accepted for who he is. And that that's so hard. Mm. It is. It's hard because you, you kind of see both sides of that argument and you don't you don't want the people you love to be in pain and you know that they're in pain. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, it's like when you're not inside it, who's to say what's right and what's wrong, except that if they can't function in, in society, I'm not even talking about, you know, polite society. I'm talking about just generally speaking, mm-hmm. you know, keep employment and, and feed yourself properly and, and rest and, and do all of those things. It's so it's it's just, it's frustrating to, to watch, you know, and I'm lucky my mom was not that way. She was very good about her medication. Just unfortunately, the medication was not physically good for her. And that's what changed around her. And, and I think to creatives, a lot of really creative people are bipolar. And so they go off their meds because they feel more creative, but then their family suffers, uh, you know, because of their behavior. And I, I remember reading this article about, gosh, was it Sweden where people would just take in somebody else's family member that was mentally ill and like they'd have a spare room or a basement because away from the family, there wasn't that control issue of, oh no, they're going to embarrass us. Right. So the person could live there as long as they weren't dangerous. And they had this whole community where people were just opening their homes to the mentally ill because it was different when it wasn't with the family. And so I think that, you know, the way our families are spread out now because people move to work and, you know, where it used to be everybody stayed in the same area, then you could um, neighbors could look out for that person or the whole community would be like, yeah, they're standing out there in their skivvies. But you know what? It's okay. We're, we're going to let it pass this time, right? Where in a community right. where people don't know you, then that's that's even conjured as terrible behavior. It's not that they're you know confused. So, I think that has has led to the pro- a lot of the problems with mental illness is there isn't that um, a buffer, a community buffer for them. That's interesting. So, in a way, the the closer you are to somebody, the harder it is to deal with. I I don't know if that's overall. I'd be interested to see what other people think, but it feels Mm -hmm. like that to me because the family, number one, wants to protect themselves. Number two, they want to protect that person and they want to kill them. And, Mm. you know, there's depending on the age. So you were a child. And um, when I experienced this, because there was more than one in our family, is I learned how to 
I learned how to cope. I learned how to be a chameleon and I can go with the flow like nobody's business. <laughs> yeah, I would say I'm similar in that. I, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Make, keep peace. Don't make waves. Keep, you know, just, okay, everybody, we're calm. We're good. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not particularly good with conflict. Yeah. And um, I, I always say it's like secondhand smoke, right? It's like mm -hmm. people that get, you know, cancer for secondhand smoke. It's so horrible, but we get something from secondhand mental illness. Yeah. And it's not yeah. always bad things. Right. So do you guys, do you guys think then, um, because you, you brought up the whole fact that um, some of the medications cause, I don't know if brain fog is the word, but it just doesn't allow for creativity as much as if they didn't take it. Would you agree that there are new meds always now, all these pharmaceuticals, uh, you know, are, are just coming out with all sorts of different medications all the time. I only feel like that's the case because I see just new commercials all the time with their little yeah, disclaimer right. going, no, no, no. And it also causes blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but, Diarrhea, right. insanity, like, all the things that you're taking it for. <laughs> but soon, do, like, do you feel like as long as all these companies keep creating all these medications, will there be meds that won't give people brain fog? Would that make things a little bit better? And maybe also the kind of meds that won't do something to your kidneys or your liver or that like there won't be, they won't have a long disclaimer at the end of their commercials because there aren't any side effects. Like, would that make things better? That's such a good question, Anna, because uh, a lot of people, times people go off because they, you know, they want to be creative, but also they go off because they think I'm fine. Look, I'm doing so well. These right. drugs have healed me. So they don't really get the idea that they have to keep on them to keep that, you know, that okayness. But I also think the more we know, rather than being scared and, oh, no, we've got this problem in our family and we've got to hide it and we've got to, you know, uh, take care of it, is the more we know then, like, with with my son who has ADHD, pretty severe, I didn't, I knew that he had it. I was pretty sure I didn't medicate him until he said, mom, I can't even, you know, pay attention in school. So I took him to his pediatrician. They had a talk and they worked out what would work for him. But mm -hmm. still for him, it was hard because, you know, again, he felt so blah Isolated. and he's such a high energy person. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah. that, I think that's a great question and I wish that we could help mental illness without the meds. You know, if there was yeah. a way to get your body back on track without meds would be so ideal. Um, right. But that's but not we are talking about chemistry, aren't yes, we? Yes, we are. Yeah. We are. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's a chem they call it chemical imbalances. And the terms right. have changed. There was I remember in the nineties I was hearing more uh, the name chemical imbalance. And then like you said, Claire, you said nervous breakdown. So terms from growing up to how they're described now have changed mm -hmm. big time, which is like I, I just remember nervous breakdown. I when anybody said nervous breakdown, I just thought, Oh, well, that's something you just let pass and then you'll be better. Right. You know, yeah. within five minutes yeah. or whatever. And um, it's, the and, hush. it's like, oh shit. Right. 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 But as right. like you, Lori, were saying, gosh, you know, but then you feel like isolated because people get affected by this and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, not that this is good news, but more and more people are being either diagnosed or just self-diagnosing sometimes mm -hmm. that they have depression and anxiety. And I think more and more people are finally, like you said, too, Lori, People are so much more aware of the mental issues and the, the spectrum that it can go from minor to major. So I, I feel like people will be more understanding if, say, someone just came out just in their pajamas and, you know, no pants or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> right, that, right. Maybe 20 years ago, people would be like, haha. But now people are like, oh, man, poor per this person. Let's try to help this person out. Like right. that kind of reaction. Anna, that is yeah. so, so beautiful. Some other changes, um, you know, like even in the company we work for in the, in the last year when, when COVID hit and there was so much going on, there was a real push from the health insurance provider, as well as from management. If you are having trouble, if you are feeling angry or depressed or this or this or this, these are your mental health resources. And here's a reminder of, of what you can do. And, and they really like 
10 years ago, that never would have happened. Nobody ever would have cared about the mental health of, of their employees. And I think that I do think there are these subtle shifts in society yeah. where yes. people are realizing it's not, you know, you're not a horrible person. Right. You know, you're just you're having this, you know. Before, if you had a mental illness and you put it on your resume, they're not going to hire you because they don't understand. Nope. Right. I do feel like it is getting better. And, you know, because I grew up with it. If somebody tells me, which I'm one of those people that, you know, I could be sitting next to a, someone on a bus and they would tell me, oh, you know, my mom killed herself and I'm bipolar. You know, it's like I didn't ask. Right. But because there is more of a conversation and when we don't overreact or we don't judge, we're like, oh, awesome. I know lots of people that are bipolar or depressed or different types of disorders. When I worked at the day center for the homeless women, so many women came in that they were Susie one day and the next day they were uh, a rocket and they believed it with everything in them. And so rather than be like, no, you're Susie, we're like, hey, how is it to be a rocket? You know, you sit with them. And it's like when we don't let it scare us, we can get so much farther. And that doesn't mean it's not scary, but it's like let's embrace and love them unless we're in danger because that's where the healing begins is when they can not have to be afraid that somebody will figure it out. Right. Because I I struggle with depression. I think you guys know that. I'm on meds. I have been for years. People who meet me would never guess that because I'm really happy and upbeat. But, you know, that's how it was told to me. My body quit making those happy chemicals. And when I uh, had some postpartum, that's when it really kicked in. Right. And and back then, I remember a friend said, well, just just take it until you feel better and get off it. And that's kind of what everybody was saying. Well, hurry and get off it. And then that particular friend, her husband found out he was depressed. He went on medics and, and their whole family life changed for the better after all those years. And I thought, I wish I wouldn't have just, you know, let it blow under. I wish I would have said, no, I'm not going to get off of them because I'm going to stay, stay on them. So I stay happy. But I just didn't know back then. Right. And so now right, I, right. I don't go off, but I used to want to just not have to. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Postpartum carries with it a whole other layer of, oh, of yeah. you know, especially the I'm severe. Not, I'm not fit to be a mother, and I'm not mm. this, and I'm not that, and and that's mm. oh, it's just I I I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Because like even minus the postpartum, you're already thinking that stuff anyway with your firstborn. <laughs> right. Sometimes you know, it's like, oh my god, what am I doing? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and, and Lori, I remember you used the term one and done, how some people would think, okay, you know, when you bring somebody into rehab, it's not that you're one and done when you take medications, right? Sometimes it's almost kind of like, no, you got to know that this is something consistently to take or. Yeah. Like this is a lifetime and this is a pattern. And like you said, Anna, there's always new meds. And so changing meds can be really yeah. difficult, Claire, as you noticed with, with your mom. It's like you may mm-hmm. take a new med. So when I first went through the situation with my husband leaving me, I had was already on one uh, antidepressant. And um, I called my doctor and she put me on a second one. Well, I'll tell you what, I was so freaking happy. It scared me. It was like nothing mattered. And so I told her, you know, so she changed it. But had I not had some experience, you know, and then some people go, oh, I tried Prozac and it didn't work. But did you try anything else? You know, and I think that's where the balance comes in as we work Mm. as a community. So now I live alone, but I have two friends that I haven't gone off my meds in a long time. But when I was raising my kids, there were times where insurance got messed up and I wouldn't get my meds. And I'd call a friend and I'd be all boohoo. And they're like, "Uh, are you taking your meds? I'm like, no, I can't get them. And they'll come beside me and help me because they know that until I figure out that's what's going on. That's why I'm sad, right? If, you know, I, I think, too, if someone's going to change meds because there are these great new meds, that more than the doctor has to be aware. You know, a good friend, a family member, because they're the one that's going to notice the difference in behavior. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And you do. And you have to be patient. You know, you have yeah. to work, work, work. Give your doctor time to mm-hmm. figure out what's working and what's not working. Right. And you're, like you said, check in with yeah. your family and, and with yourself. I don't know, maybe keep a journal or something. But yeah, yeah, it, it good. definitely is. It, but you know what? It, I mean, it's it, it adds a layer when it's mental illness because you're, you're not necessarily trusting what you're thinking. But exactly. for any medication, whether it's right? reflux or thyroid or, or whatever yeah. it is, they're like, don't, sorry, just, don't take it for a week and go, well, this sucks. You know, yeah. I mean, you really have to think through with your doctor. 
some doctors are great. Other doctors need a little, you got to talk to them. You yeah. know, you got to make them listen to you. One but thing, um, one like thing you said, I, there's so many, so many good meds out there now yeah. that you just got to be patient. Well, and one thing I learned, because when you think about, you know, like I was a single mom, I go to get my meds and something happened, something in the system changed. And so what I learned is I said, okay, I understand you can't give them to me, but you realize they're an antidepressant. You see my three kids here. Could you give me three or four to get me through until we figure this out? Yeah. You know, it's advocating for yourself. And usually they will. They usually they will. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I raised my kids in a small community and I didn't personally know the pharmacist. But I think that because it was always the same pharmacy that, you know, they were able to see that because, you know, I said one day I said to my son, I, I used to do landscaping in between uh, some of my jobs. And I said to my oldest son who had just graduated, I said, he had the day off. And I said, listen, I have to go work. I'm going to absolutely cry all day long. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just waiting for my meds. So if you could just come because the people, they're going to go, what the heck? And so he came and he just helped me out and he kind of, you know, ran interference and did the, did the, you know, carrying stuff to the garbage and all that. But, you know, I knew enough by then to know what I need and how to get through it. That's fascinating. But you treated, and not to get too weird on you, but <laughs> you treated that fact that you were going to cry all day kind of like you were limping, right? It, it, it's kind of like a, a version of, okay, I can still do what I need to do. I just need a little help to get through it. Right. It's And it's better to go do something than to stay home. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's and- so much strength for you to know that. And do that and not just go hide in the bathroom. I appreciate you saying that because I, you know, I hear I'm talking on a podcast, but I don't, unless it's one-on-one, I don't normally say that I'm on antidepressants because in the beginning there was so much judgment. And when Uh you grow up with mental illness in the family and then everyone's saying you need drugs, it's hard. And that took a little for me, you know, swallowing my pride. And and now I'm like so grateful so grateful for drugs that help us manage yeah. life. Yeah. 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 Lori, this is listen and learn or not. We have no judgment. The next thing you know, Anna and I will spend an hour talking about The Bachelorette. So seriously, <laughs> this is a completely, if this were not a judgment-free zone, I wouldn't have made it past day one. But isn't it funny we go from like the happiest day? <laughs> right. To like the saddest day. I know. It's sort of like smile and take your meds and we're all going to make it. <laughs> do what you got to do. <laughs> Can we bring it back to the inauguration for a second and talk, about the, and talk about the color purple? Can we talk about that for a minute? Yes, please. There were a lot of women and a few men as well that chose to wear purple yesterday. And I just love that. And I was reading a couple of fashion articles, believe it or not, Vogue, Town and & Country, and a couple of others, uh, kind of getting into the, uh, the history of color purple. And I think that there were, there were two things that really stood out. Number one, it was the color of women's suffrage, like the women's suffrage movement, uh, the, the, the movement that gave women the vote, and really the beginning of women's rights in, I guess it would be the 20th century. Um, and so a lot of them wore purple, and purple and white and gold actually were the day. And so you saw uh, Kamala Harris in purple, you saw Michelle Obama in purple, yeah. you saw uh, Laura Bush was in a lilac thing. But the other thing about purple is that it's a mix of red and blue. There was none of this red state, blue state, none of that. Even Mike Pence, who traditionally wears mm-hmm. like a bright red, a rescue red, fire engine red tie, even his tie was more like maroony than it was red. And Joe Biden was wearing a purple tie, and I just thought that was really cool because there's just that message of unity, and we got to stop being divided. We got we got to be united, and I just think it's really important what color says. You know, that's what they. I don't know if they all like. Hey, what are you wearing? You know, <laughs> you know these women, they're on both sides. They were united in what to wear, as well as the former presidents uniting to give their messages and well wishes, all agreeing that everyone was coming out of a dark cloud of division. So I really thought all of that really said something. Yeah, I did too. I just love that, you know? Yeah. Why didn't Bernie wear purple? Oh my God, Bernie. Oh, poor Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. Okay, listen and learn or not, family. If you have not yet done so, just Google Bernie Sanders memes. And I don't, this is not a political statement. I don't know where you are on Bernie, but I, 
I went from feeling bad for him to be like, he's probably having a great time with this. Oh, he is. Explain it, Anna. Please. So bundled up Bernie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He was wearing some mittens, but he was also just bundled up like a, like an old guy that you would see at a a high school football game or something. (laughs) And those mittens that he wore was by um, a teacher from Essex Junction, Vermont. She gave them to him two years ago. She was surprised when he began wearing them on the campaign trail, then saw it in the inauguration. But they're made from repurposed wool sweaters and lined with fleece, made from recycled plastic bottles. Oh, God, so, that's so Bernie. <laughs> and so when he was at the inauguration, he was sitting down, social distance from everyone. He had his mittens on. It was so cute. It was almost just cute. And so all these memes came out, like, I am once again asking for a space heater. <laughs> and... So all these memes also came out with him being superimposed in all sorts of famous pics. Like there's one where he's sitting across from Forrest Gump on the park bench. (laughs) There's one where he's in Bird Box where Sandra Bullock and her kids are blindfolded and Bernie's sitting in the canoe with them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, he's a passenger of the Millennium Falcon with Han Solo and Chewbacca. (laughs) And then there's like, there's one where he's sitting in the middle of the Sunday in the park painting. Uh, right. the, colors, the colors match and you actually need to look for him. <laughs> there's, there's one where he's floating along in Baby Yoda's egg from the Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> The Gangnam style in the barn with horses. With the horses? <laughs> yes. yes. There's one where he's, uh, he's sitting at uh, the uh, poster for the Breakfast Club where they're all sitting there. I have not <laughs> seen that one. Oh my God. It's so, um, so people are so creative but have so much damn time on there. So much damn time on there. Oh my gosh. Oh, and there's one where he is the 100 foot tall Lincoln Memorial. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's sitting down. Once again, Bernie Sanders has united us all. Yes, yes. yes. What a great sport. <laughs> um, just other notable Bums things. Garth Brooks, black. like, had me on the floor. Oh. And asking um, us to join in. Yeah, oh, so good. There's a video that's been circulating from the January 6th Capitol riot where this African-American Capitol officer being chased by a mob of Trump supporters up some stairs during that January 6th Capitol riot. Officer yes. Eugene Goodman is his name. And it wasn't until yesterday when I found out that he was actually letting the rioters chase him so he could lead them away from the yep. unguarded Senate chambers where senators right. and reporters and staff took shelter. So he's a hero. Since that moment, he had been promoted, and then he was hired to escort our new Vice President Kamala Harris to the inauguration. And he got, there There were not too many moments of spontaneous applause that you could hear yesterday, because there weren't that many people, but mm-hmm. he got a big one. He, he yeah. actually got his own moment before Kamala Harris, and that was, what a hero, <sighs> like a yeah. just true hero. Amazing. Did you guys catch the uh, inauguration evening by any chance? I did not. I've seen a lot of people tweeting and Facebooking about some of the performances were really good. And I have yeah. not seen that. So tell us about it. The reason why I'm asking about it is because I think it's really telling, even watching all the musicians who were willing to be a part of Biden's inauguration night. So that included like Bon Jovi, Foo Fighters, Bruce Springsteen, John Legend, whose wife, Chrissy Teigen, lost a tooth yesterday at the inauguration. Oh, no, really? <laughs> Eating a fruit roll-up. <laughs> Poor Chrissy. <laughs> Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Horrible. Horrible. What's the name of Demi? Oh, Demi Lovato. Demi Lovato. Demi Lovato. Oh, Lord. Are Um, you getting your Justin Bieber exes confused? uh, Yes, (laughs) I am. (laughs) Katy Perry, who just, oh, my God, her performance, like, made me cry. So... Trump's people struggle to find people who are willing to perform at the 2017 inauguration. That was according to Stephanie Winston Walkoff. Uh, she couldn't lock in the A-listers like Kiss or Celine Dion or Meatloaf and uh, Leonard Skinner. So they were all asked, but they didn't want to have anything to do with Trump's inauguration. Fast forward to last night, so many were willing and they were so happy to do it. Like you could clearly see everyone that was performing was so happy. I had this feeling of of, uh, just this weight off of me because of yesterday. I mean, because of a lot of things, but like this one in particular just seemed to be like, wow, you know what? Everything's going to be okay. It did. I'm glad to hear you say that, Anna, because when we spoke this time last week, you were really nervous. 
And I still am. I still am. I'll be honest. But uh, because, you know, whatever was happening, I think it's not, it's not, it wasn't just, it wasn't the, the beginning or end. I think it's something we might have to keep an eye on. Yes. You know? Yeah. Right. Right. But, uh, but, yeah. but that sense of, you, you were able to experience joy and happiness and relief and, and, and um, looking forward. Looking forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This virus will clear out. We'll see more social justice and climate change as the focus and getting people in the administration who aren't making decisions out of fear. I felt like a sense of some evil that overcame this country no longer has the same megaphone. And now there's this complete overhaul of goodness and good intention and holiness that's about to take place. There is there is a big industry of fear in our country. A lot of people make a lot of money and make a lot of hay off of fear. And uh, it is nice to to have something that's more about progress and fixing things than it is about being afraid of things. Yes. We haven't done a a lightning round in a while. And I remember asking if you guys might be willing to recite your favorite part of Amanda Gorman's poem. It's a very long poem. So I was thinking just your favorite section. I could start if you want, but uh, yeah, why not? Because I've got to find mine. I, I mean, I go ahead, Anna. So mine was, We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace. And the norms and notions of what just is, isn't always just is. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it, would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. Yes. I love that. Yeah. So mine, I love that so much. Mine is, we are striving to forge a union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gazes, not to what stands between us, thinking about the president kept saying, as we stand here, or what is that? He was saying something about in his talk. It was as I stand here. But do you remember he kept saying that over and over? You don't remember that? Anyway, I don't remember. So it. I, it just hit me because he kept saying that. And then she says, not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first, we must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. Love it. Wow. What was yours, Claire? You stole mine, <laughs> which did. is to see to see what is just is, but is not justice. <laughs> that was my yes. That was oh, my that's what she said. Favorite. Justice. I said just is. <laughs> no, but that was my absolute favorite part. Was definitely yes. that moment, and then the end. But I want to do the um, part where she describes America. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true: that even as we grieved, we grew. That even as we hurt, we hoped. That even as we tired, we tried. That we will forever be tied together victorious. Not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. So let us leave behind a country better than one we were left with every breath from my bronze pounded chest. We will raise this wounded world into a wondrous one. We will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the West. We will rise from the windswept Northeast where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked South. We will rebuild reconcile and recover in every known nook of our nation in every corner called our country our people diverse and beautiful will emerge battered and beautiful when day comes we step out of the shade of flame and unafraid the new dawn blooms as we free it for there is always light if only we're brave enough to see it if only we're brave enough to be it Mm, I loved Ooh. that so much. Amanda Gorman, everyone. Amanda Gorman. Incredible. Two things. Treat yourself to five minutes of watching, not listening, but watching Amanda Gorman. And then mm. treat yourself to 15 minutes of Bernie memes. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, thank you guys. Thank you, Life Coach Lori. Thank you, Claire, for taking time to uh, engage in this conversation. And thank you, Anna. Thank you both. I mean, just this is like we always say, we always say it's therapy for us. Listen along, comment along, let us know how you felt about all this too. We would love to hear your comments on all of this, the mental illness, about the the whole um, inauguration, all of it. We would love to hear what you have to say. And you can go to our Facebook page, Listen and Learn or Not. I'll see you next week, everyone. Few people in our nation's history have been more challenged or found a time more challenging or difficult than the time we're in now. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag drifting through the wind wanting to start again? Do you ever feel feel so paper thin like a house of cards one blow from caving in? Once in a century virus that silently stalks the country. Taken as many lives in one year as America lost in all of World War II. Millions of jobs have been lost. Hundreds of thousands of businesses closed. Cry for racial justice. Some 400 years in the making moves us. The dream of justice for all will be deferred no longer. The Civil War, the Great Depression, the World War, 9-11, through struggles, sacrifices, and setbacks, our better angels have always prevailed. In each of these moments, enough of us, enough of us have come together to carry all of us forward. And we can do that now. History, faith, reason show the way, the way of unity. Without unity, there is no peace. Look, I understand that many of my fellow Americans view the future with fear and trepidation. I understand they worry about their jobs, thinking about their families, about what comes next. But the answer is not to turn inward, to retreat into competing factions, distrusting those who don't look like you or worship the way you do. I know speaking of unity can sound to some like a foolish fantasy these days. I know the forces that divide us are deep and they are real. This is our historic moment of crisis and challenge. And unity is the path forward. And we must meet this moment as the United States of America. Here we stand in the shadow of the Capitol Dome, as was mentioned earlier, completed amid the Civil War, when the Union itself was literally hanging in the balance. Yet we endured. We prevail. Here we stand, looking out on the great mall where Dr. King spoke of his dream. Here we stand, where 108 years ago, at another inaugural, thousands of protesters tried to block brave women marching for the right to vote. And today, we mark the swearing in of the first woman in American history elected to national office, Vice President Kamala Harris. Don't tell me things can't change. Here we stand, across the Potomac from Arlington Cemetery, where heroes who gave the last full measure of devotion rest in eternal peace. And here we stand, just days after a riotous mom thought they could use violence to silence the will of the people, to stop the work of our democracy to drive us from this sacred ground. It did not happen. It will never happen. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. Not ever. My fellow Americans, I closed the day where I began with the sacred oath. Before God and all of you, I give you my word. I will always love it with you. I will defend the Constitution. I'll defend our democracy. I'll defend America. May God bless America, and may God protect our troops. Thank you, America.